There's a beautiful city in northern Japan called Tamura, and my wife and I had a just a great time living there for one year in our late 20s, and we were there as missionaries. So for months, we were learning the language, we were getting to know our coworkers, we were getting to know these students in middle schools that we would teach English in. And after, just right when the time was right, I invited some guys that, were, that went to my middle school and they went to our English uh, tutoring place at the, at the end of the day. We, we just felt like, okay, now is the time to have a Bible study. And I was so excited. My expectations weren't too high at all. I just knew that afterwards they would be ripping their clothes in repentance and filled with the Holy Spirit and, and uh, these fully formed disciples just at the end of a 15-minute Bible study. And it didn't go well. Uh, we, we, we had the wrong Bibles. It was written in an old Japanese that was like even older for us language-wise than the King James Version. So they didn't understand it. They somehow, after reading the story of the prodigal son, um, they were like, oh, we have this story too, uh, except ours, ours has a dragon in it. And I was like trying to explain in, in English and my broken Japanese, and, and we were not missing, we were not connecting at all. And it, this, this Bible study devolved into a wrestling match. I don't even know how it got there, but I, I turned my head and all of a sudden these guys are throwing pillows at each other. They're, they're all over the place and I'm so disappointed and I'm so angry and I'm starting to talk to God like, hey, I was supposed to be the next Japanese Billy Graham. I'm supposed to bring this whole nation to you, Jesus. Where are you in this? And this is, I'm praying this in my head and I just, it, Right when I said that, I got smacked in the head with a pillow so hard, just wham! And then there was Norifumi with the pillow, and he, he had just nailed me. And I felt like in that moment, like Jesus was using that pillow to smack me in the head, saying, hey, I've been with you here the whole time, and Mike, this isn't all up to you that you're a part of a group of people, these missionaries that have been serving under this, this amazing pastor here in this local town who's been here for 50 years. You're not the first one that's come here to share about Jesus, and you're not the last. So play your part and pick up a pillow and start swinging it around. And I realized that those first, it had to have been six to nine months in to my time there, I'd been viewing my, my role in that big story like, like I was looking through the wrong end of a telescope. And I'm saying, I'm thinking, oh, God wants to reach this nation. God wants, to, wants people to know about Jesus. And here's how I'm going to do it. And it was all focused on me and my efforts. But in that moment, when that pillow hit me in the face, it was like God turned the telescope around. And I could see how my little life and this little, what was supposed to be a Bible study, was, was actually a small piece of something much, much bigger. And I also realized that having, having an interaction with people from a different culture into my space, it was almost like I was hanging out with Jesus. And Jesus was saying, hey, you're, you're going too fast. Uh, it's great that you've, you've got, to, got them reading the prodigal son, but... You know what we need to do first? We need to have a pillow fight, and these guys need to wrestle each other, and, and then we're going to eat some snacks. And uh, today I want to take a look at a story where, where two disciples 
we're looking through the wrong end of a telescope. And Jesus pops up in surprising ways and uh, in, in a surprising place. So today we find ourselves in this remarkable encounter on the road to Emmaus. And this actually takes place the Sunday after Jesus was crucified. And these two disciples that we're gonna talk about, I can't even imagine the emotional exhaustion of, of following Jesus and then this, this mock trial and all the events leading up to the crucifixion and then the, the stark cold reality of, I think this is all over. And they're, they're, they're processing on this road. And as they're talking in Luke chapter 24, verse 13 and 16, it goes like this. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Like, okay, so this is incognito Jesus coming along these two disciples who are lost. They have to be lost in their grief and confusion. And there's a million ways we could go with this. How, how often do we, do we miss Jesus because we're so focused on our, our lives? And rightfully so, when we have pain, it's like the world goes into laser beam focus. But Jesus was right there in the midst of their pain. Jesus was right alongside of them in everything that they were going through. And today, maybe, maybe, maybe you were invited here, or uh, maybe, maybe this video just popped up in your algorithm. And maybe this is Jesus' way of saying, I'm right there with you in the midst of everything you're going through. And maybe it's, it's, a, it's a reminder for us to just pause right now and to say, Jesus, open my eyes, show me where you are in the midst of this. Well, Jesus walks alongside of these, these disciples. They don't recognize him. And verse 17 says, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, Jesus asked. You know, the events the, that had happened in Jerusalem had to have been the talk of the town. I can't imagine missing them. The Romans were involved. The Jewish leaders were involved. There were big crowds involved, shouting, crucify him. And the parade of Jesus walking with his cross, being jeered at and spit upon. I can't, ima I can't imagine it any other way that Jesus is asking, what things? I have to think there had to have been a twinkle in his eye. And the question just as much of a statement, though they don't realize it, as it is a question. Because they've, they've shared their disappointment. In the next few verses, they share their disappointment over the crucifixion and their hopes that, that this long-promised Messiah would come and redeem Israel. And the scripture says that Jesus rebuked their lack of understanding. And then he walked them through the scriptures, the whole Genesis, all the way through, all the way up to him. And he walked them through this, explaining how the scriptures had been talking about how the Messiah would come and suffer and, and experience this resurrection. So even the disciples 
we're looking through the wrong end of the telescope. These scriptures, they had many of those scriptures that Jesus was walking through, they had those memorized. But, but this, there was this repeating pattern through, throughout the generations in Israel of looking the wrong way through the telescope. They thought God was coming merely to redeem Israel from its enemies. They thought God's plan was all about making sure Israel was on top, forgetting the theme all the way back to the first uh, promise to Abram that I'll make, yeah, make you a, a, your descendants, as, as many as there are stars in the sky, and, and I will bless them to make a, them a blessing, to start with something small and then make it something that blesses everybody. And Jesus has to start from the beginning and walk them back. And as he, as he walked them through what the scriptures meant and how they, they led up to Jesus as Messiah, their hearts, they were compelled. And verse 28 says, as they approached the village, so they've walked seven miles by this point. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly. Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. I, I love this. It's not the main theme of the pasture, but a passage, but this passage is bathed in hospitality, which we're, we've been processing over the past few weeks together. And so here's this teacher, the stranger that they didn't know, asked them a question, and they have this this conversation that had to have expanded their perception, this, this telescope-flipping conversation where they're starting to look through the right end of the telescope and, and see what God's really been up to, even though they had walked with Jesus for a long time. And here they are knowing, okay, it's evening. We're, we're to the end of our seven-mile journey. You stay with us. It's dangerous to travel at night. And I love that they urged him strongly. Yeah, you got to stay with us. We want to keep talking with you. So Jesus comes in and still they don't even realize it's Jesus. But in their act of hospitality, they demonstrated kindness, openness to a stranger, and they're setting an example for us. So they, they come in and we'll pick up in verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I can't imagine that moment. You know, this, this moment where Jesus reenacting, you know, the Last Supper just happened a few days before. He's breaking bread. And all of a sudden their eyes are opened and they realize they had been talking to Jesus the whole time. I love contrasting this meal. They've invited the stranger in and, and as he's breaking bread and giving it to them, they open their eyes to see what God's been up to and, and that Jesus is right there and has been with them through this whole journey. Contrast this meal with the first recorded meal, or at least a snack in scripture. In Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. 
Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This author, Luke, is setting up some interesting contrasts. You know, the, the, Adam and Eve, their eyes were open to the curse that they brought upon all of humanity and all of creation. And here we have hospitality involved and these two disciples realizing that the living God is right before him, right before them, and that everything he had been teaching, like it came true. It didn't just, it wasn't an angel that was sent. It was Jesus Christ in the flesh, resurrected from the dead. And now he's, he's celebrating this new meal that celebrates all that death and destruction that were brought upon us by Adam and Eve. Jesus is, is putting all that together in, my, in the, the children's Bible that I used to read with my kids when they were little. I love the way it puts it there, that all the sad things were coming untrue. So this, this meal, is, it, it's, it's a celebration of life. And it was at the dinner table that Jesus, as he so often did in his ministry, he was a guest, but he took on the role of a host and broke the bread and went through all of those things. But it was a sacred moment where their eyes were opened and they recognized Jesus. And this breaking of bread, it becomes an understanding of what God's been up to for all of human history. In this story, hospitality, it's easy for us to miss. But in this story, hospitality becomes a conduit for spiritual revel revelation. When we expend, when we extend hospitality, we're creating space for divine encounters for other people, but also for us too. Just even, even if we're going apart, that's what I love that it's so spectacular, but it's at the same time so incredibly natural. Just date, not the entertainment, not, not trying to have doilies everywhere and everything perfectly in their place, but it's in the everyday things of extending hospitality that we can come face to face with God in the experience. God uses other people to make himself present to us, like, the, like my pillow in the face, saying, Jesus, Jesus was saying to me, hey, lighten up, buddy. This isn't just merely a meal. This is a chance where this is a chance for us to declare the good news that death is no longer king, that destruction are no longer inevitable, that Jesus is making things, all the sad things come untrue. So they saw Jesus. And after that, in verse 33, they got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So I can't imagine the, the awe in the room. Simon has seen Jesus. These two travelers have seen Jesus. It's true. Jesus is resurrected. But for these two disciples, breaking bread together allowed them to see Jesus in a new light. And it took them on this journey from confusion to clarity. It took them on this journey from sorrow to rejoicing. So when we extend hospitality, we're mirroring the love of Jesus Christ who welcomes us. He made space 
for us to have a relationship with God again. For all, it's an invitation extended to every human being on the planet. And we can't miss that the symbol of breaking bread, of fellowship, of unity, the shared, shared, shared faith that we have, I think it's an act of rebellion against the chaos in the world. It's an act of rebellion against the dysfunction in the world. We're proclaiming that Jesus Christ is putting all of this back together, healing, renewing, rebuilding, and restoring this whole world. So it, it, as simple as a meal of sandwiches, whether it's, whether it's peanut butter and jelly or whether it's steak, it doesn't, wherever it, that falls on the spectrum, through hospitality, we create an environment where people can encounter Jesus. Through hospitality, we create an environment where people can experience transformation. So this story has a lot to teach us about what happens when we open our hearts and homes to others. When when we do that, God works profoundly. So just like for these disciples, when we break bread together, so too our acts of hospitality can lead to divine encounters that change lives. We're not just hosting and creating opportunities uh, for, for a, a cool Instagram photo with a bunch of hipsters and perfect lighting. There's something deeper going on under the surface. And it's not just for the guests. We can experience Jesus in that moment too when we, when we go through this practice. So when we do this, it often makes us, makes us make sure that we're actually looking through the right end of the telescope. So what do we do with all of this? Well, I challenge you to start small. But start this week. Think of, we've been talking this year about the difference between a glacier and an avalanche. This stuff is small and it starts with a little bit of water that's frozen together. So for you, it may be just saying hi to a stranger. Uh, Someone checking you out at at the store or at the coffee shop or whatever, or or one of your neighbors. Uh, Start small. Maybe if it's intimidating for you to to have someone in your home and it feels like too invasive, we'll we'll meet in a third space like a coffee shop or go have pie with somebody. Uh, That's okay. Start. We don't have to be Jedi-level hospitality people. We're We're not in the hospitality industry. Don't put too much pressure on yourself. Start small. And Also, don't get discouraged if your first attempts don't work. We have some friends in our church network that are are planting a church in Oregon. It's called Peace Church. And Millie, Ellen, and Drew, I consider them, you know, PhD level at at hospitality. This is uh, something that's woven into their their rhythms of their week. It's, it's, It's something they get a lot of joy from. And when they planted their church, they started inviting their neighbors over for a backyard barbecue. But after a few months even, no one wanted to come. It wasn't working. So if you and I are just getting started at this, like, don't put too much pressure. Your first attempts, good job. If they don't work, you know what doesn't work. At least you know that. So Drew and Millie Ellen are like, okay, this doesn't, people don't want to come to our backyard. We're We've only been in the neighborhood for a couple years. What else can we do? So they moved the barbecue to their front yard. 
And guess what happened? A bunch of their neighbors were passing by. People could not only smell, but see the hot dogs and hamburgers cooking. And now the stories of the neighbors beginning to, to meet each other and eat each other, eat, eat with each other. Well, good grief. <laughs> they're, they're, they're eating hamburgers together. The stories are beautiful and lives are being transformed in, in individual lives, but also the neighborhood. It feels different. Like God's kingdom, I believe, is coming to that neighborhood. So we may not be the, the high-level, expert-level hospitality folks, but let's start somewhere. I was thinking of it this way, too. Like if, if God put in, in his practice, if one of the practices of Jesus was playing basketball, and a lot of us are like, well, I'm, I, we have excuses. I don't play. I'm not coordinated. I'm not fast. I'm vertically challenged. It would be horrible to compare yourself with LeBron James. But going with that, with that example, why not just throw the ball up and try it? Doesn't mean you have to be the LeBron James or the Kobe Bryant of hospitality. But we all have some, we have a life to share and we have something to share with other people. And when you give God even just a little bit, God has a really good track record of making our little bit into a significant contribution into someone's life, into your neighborhood's life. So remember that we're, we're invited to follow the way of Jesus in this practice. We're not trying to follow the way of Martha Stewart, Martha Stewart or some Pinterest-worthy party. We're following Jesus. And adopting this practice is really good for us. God wants this for us because it prevents our hearts from getting cold. There's a lot of things in this world that can really beat us down. But I love that line in there where the disciples are saying, were not our hearts burning when we were listening to him? This is like prevention for our hearts growing cold because when we extend hospitality, we literally meet with Jesus. We welcome in the stranger. And it's one way we can experience Jesus. And we can do that by extending hospitality. So as you try this out, please let us know how it goes. You can leave a comment. You can come back to this video or you can send us an email at stories at sgbic.com. Uh, we want to hear your stories. We want to hear what worked, what didn't work. And we want to hear what God's up to. Maybe, maybe you've learned something about yourself and, and your own relationship with God in this process. Or maybe you need some, some more support and some help. So please don't hesitate to reach out to us. And I'm, I'm excited for our journey in this. So let me bless you and we will dismiss. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and turn his face towards you. And may God give you his peace. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.